Kira Tenakota Katoa. Welcome to Emirates Podcast, episode 368. Today is Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. Today is significant for two things. Well, first of all, it's the last day of August, but that's significant for two things. That I've had two podcast episodes in the month of August. What is this world coming to? And the other, of course, less significant thing is that today is the last day of winter in the Southern Hemisphere, and tomorrow is the first day of spring, and we cannot wait. <laughs> this winter has been especially wet. It's hasn't been terribly cold. I mean, well, um, Hamilton is much colder than Auckland was, at least the North Shore, but it has been a lot wetter than normal, even for Hamilton. And we have had weeks and weeks and weeks where it's rained either every day or at least most days, or at least most of most days sometimes. And it's been really horrible. In parts of the country have had a lot of flooding and landslips and things like that. Northland, which is that little sliver of New Zealand at the top of the North Island, had severe flooding, and so did large parts of the South Island. And the Wellington region had landslips and things going on. It's just been horrible. And I don't think anybody is going to be sorry to see the back of winter this year. It's just been shocking. So I took advantage of the sunshine myself. Yesterday, I went out and I mowed the, the lawn in the back, the lawns in the back of the house. And I hadn't done that before. When I mowed the front lawn some weeks ago, I just ran out of juice and I didn't do the back lawn. And then it started raining again and raining and raining and raining and raining. And I just couldn't get to it. Meanwhile, because the weather's starting to warm up a little bit, at least in the daytime, the grass started growing again. So it was getting longer and it was still wet. Well, we had a few days in a row where it didn't rain. And so I went out, I decided Monday night, right tomorrow, I'm going to go mow the lawns. And I did yesterday. And it was difficult because when it's long like that, it's hard to get through under the best of circumstances. But down near the, the ground, it was actually quite damp. Lots of wateriness down there. And so it would gum up the cutting deck under, underneath the, the lawnmower, and it used the battery a lot more than it would have if it was dry. And so I ended up draining the batteries, my high-capacity battery that I bought so that I could do both the front and the back lawns at the same time, and it drained it. So I, w I was only had like five minutes to go tops when the battery ran out. So I went and got my other one, the original one, and finished it. And then that was it. I was done for the day. And... <laughs> But I decided, I was trying to decide what I was going to do today. I knew I wanted to mow the front lawn because although it didn't look like it really needed it, I thought that way I could get them both back in sync so that I could, you know, try to do the whole, all the lawns at once. And so on the same day. So I thought, right, that's what I'm going to do. And then I thought about more and I thought, no, I should really take the line trimmer and go out and do the edges. So I grabbed that and went out and did the, the boundaries in the back and also the perimeter of the house itself. And partway through, that battery died. And to be fair, I'd used it a few weeks or months ago, the last time I used the line trimmer. So that didn't really surprise me. And I put in another one because I'd bought some new higher capacity batteries way back when. And so I went out there and did that and did all of the work, got all that done. And then I went inside for a rest. Then I went back out again and went to the front of the house and did the same thing. I did the perimeter of the house first. Then I started going along the boundary and I went back to this rain garden, which is a, it looks like a, what's well, made out of cement and it looks like a concrete trough that cattle drink water out of and um, it, its purpose is to catch excess runoff during heavy rains 
so that it doesn't overwhelm the storm sewer system. I, I hate the thing. It's ugly and it's in the way. And ugh. anyway, so I was halfway, partway through that and that battery died. So I went to the garage to get another battery and I realized that uh, I, I thought I'd bought a three pack of these higher capacity batteries, but the, I couldn't see it. So I just got the lower capacity one that I had left. I finished doing the rain around the rain garden, started doing the final boundary and that battery died because the grass was very heavy along the boundaries. I don't actually remember the last time I did it. It's been quite some time. Oh, and during all of this too, I forgot to say I had to change the line in the, tr the filament in the trimmer because I used it up. <laughs> so it's like all of this stuff. So then when I was done with that, I mowed the front lawn as I planned on originally. And then I got my outdoor broom and I swept up the clippings from the footpaths in the driveway, which is really weird because I don't normally do that. I do have a leaf blower, but it requires a uh, cord. And I don't have any power points on the outside of the house. I'd have to stick it through the window or open the overhead door of the garage and run the, the cord out that way. And I just haven't done it. And at the moment, I'm not actually sure where the leaf blower is. I know it's in the garage somewhere, but it's probably buried under junk. So that's what I've been up to. And part of the reason I mention all this for two reasons. One, because all of this was possible only because the rains finally let up a bit. And the other thing is I am convinced that this is a result of the benefit of changing my prescription medication because it's five weeks today that I've been on this new drug. And I couldn't have done all of that over two days, certainly, on the old drug. It probably would have wiped me out for a better part of a week if I'd tried that. So, yeah, so it's a very positive thing. And I did one other thing that's for the same reason I was able to, and that's that a week ago Sunday, not a few days after I recorded the last episode, I, um, well, I got an e email from our auction service uh, called Trade Me, which is similar to eBay in the U.S., telling me that uh, they had a, a special 50% off success fees, which are the fees you pay if your auction is successful, if you sell whatever it is. It is. And I decided, right, I'm going to sell my garden shed. And the story behind that is 18 months ago, roughly, I bought a garden shed online pretty much on impulse. And it arrived, it was in, in a box, and I had to move it. When I was emptying out the storage unit in Auckland, I needed room in the garage, and the box fell apart, so I had to put it, all the pieces loose in the garage. And that's where it stayed. Part of the indecision was I couldn't figure out where I wanted to put it, and also I couldn't exactly figure out how I was going to put it together, not the physical putting it together, but... The sides, it's made of plastic, and it, the sides attach to a plastic base, and that the floor, and that floor is meant to be attached to either wooden deck or a uh, concrete pad. And I couldn't figure out how I was going to be able to do either one of them. I, at one point, I considered doing compacted gravel, and but then I still couldn't. I couldn't figure out how I was going to fasten it down so it wouldn't get, you know, torn away in a high wind. So I, I thought, well, I'm probably going to have to hire somebody to do that, but that's not cheap. And part of the reason I bought it is because it was less expensive than some of the others I looked at. And I thought, oh, geez, I'm just going to end up spending more, far more money than it's worth. And so I hemmed and hawed. But the other thing is that at its highest point on the inside of the shed, at the peak of the roof, it's a uh, you know, A-line roof, at the peak, it's it's two meters high from the floor. Two meters is like 6'6", six, six, which is unusually high for a shed which means on the outside it was even higher. And this is an issue because I was going to put it up along the fence line. So it would be towering over the, the neighbor's property. Now, at the time I bought it, there was nothing on next door. Actually, I think there was nothing on either side of me or to, behind me. Now they're all, they've got houses on all of them. All the sections around me are, are filled. So 
those people would, or the person or whatever, who whoever lives there, I don't know, I've never met them, um, would have this this shed towering over the fence. And I just didn't want to do that. But the main reason I didn't act on it was I couldn't figure out what to do about the base. And then I was tripping over it all the time. Every time I wanted to take recycling through the garage to the side door where the I keep the wheelie bins, I kept tripping over bits and pieces. And it was just in the way. And it was really beginning to annoy me and depress me and all that. And I thought, right, when I got the email from Trade Me, I thought, that's it. I'm going to sell the shed and just cut my losses and be done with it. And so I listed it. I went with a standard seven-day auction because there's no charge for that. The listings are, are free. And if you want to shorten the auction to less than seven days, then they um, there's a, a fee for that. And it's not much of a fee, but I figured, you know, I'm going to be losing money on this deal anyway. I don't want to spend anything I don't have to. And getting half half of the of the success fees off was the was what motivated me in the first place. So I just went with all the standards. And it sold this past Sunday, and all up, I'll probably end up getting roughly fifty percent of what I paid for it, which is it's all right to be to be honest. I think it's probably what it's actually worth, but be that as it may, since the time I bought it, though the company that sells it is selling the same thing, the same model and all that, for fifty percent more than I paid for it. So whoever bought it is getting a really good deal compared to what they'd have to spend to buy it new, and it is as new because it's been kept in my garage ever since I bought it. And um, so it's not had any weathering or anything like that. And when I went to um, list it, I thought, you know, it's been in my garage for 18 months. I separated the bits and pieces because the box fell apart. I better make sure they're all there. So I took the the owner's manual, or the user manual, and printed out the parts list pages because I had a PDF of it and um, went and used that as my checklist or whatever to make sure that everything was there. And it was actually a really good way to do that. It's because they had pictures of what the parts were, and that made it really handy and really easy to make sure I had the right ones. <laughs> and they were all there, miraculously. I didn't lose anything, except for a shelf bracket, which I had no intention of using anyway. And it's possible that I had it and lost it, or it's possible it wasn't in there in the first place and I just never noticed. Who knows? So anyway, they're picking that up this coming weekend, and so that'll be the end of that. And um, it does open up space in the garage. Part of the the outside walls, these plastic, hard plastic um, corners, all the corners, were very tall. They're nearly two, two meters tall. And the doors were big, and the roof panels were big, and they're all in my way. Well, those corner panels were leaning up against the door to the storage cupboard in the garage. It's basically like a wardrobe, and in that is the hot water cylinder, and also a bunch of shelves where I'd put stuff when I first moved in, including Nigel's 3D printers, which I haven't had a, a chance to do anything with yet, and all, uh, all sorts of other bits and pieces, including electronic stuff that should have gone on the shelves in the garage with the other electronic stuff I have to sort through eventually. But I couldn't get in there. I haven't been. I don't think I've been able to get into the garage for 18 months, or there, or the better part of. And I have had a little peek in there. There doesn't seem to be anything too. Um, interesting, but you know, the sort of thing is sort of thing I was actually looking for. So, I guess that's good. I don't know. Anyway, so that's done and that's on its way. And that too probably is only possible because the prescription changed because I was able to make a decisive decision <laughs> finally after eighteen months. But I was in a in a frame of mind to be able to do it. And then in the past two days, I've been extremely active because of this change as well. But the other reason I call this episode sunshine isn't just because of the beautiful sunshine. 
It's also because of our ongoing issues with far-right loons, goons, and cartoons, the same people who occupied Parliament grounds a few months back. They didn't go away. They're still frothing about this, that, or the other thing in their far-right forums and so on. And one of the main groups, mostly anti-vax, anti-mandate, and so on, uh, put out the word to their followers that they should run for local government elections because that's coming up this year. That's next uh, in October. And that they should not reveal their connection to the group, that they should just not disclose it at all, not admit it or anything. And the reason they were doing this is because they want to, they, their stated goal is to make New Zealand ungovernable. Now, I don't get what they, why they think that is a worthy objective. What is that going to achieve? Because if they were able to say to take over a council and make it ungovernable, what would happen is the government would, would step in, they would dismiss all of the elected people in st- and put in a commission. They, they can do that whenever a local government unit, like a city council or district council or whatever, cannot organize itself and cannot do anything, then the government steps in to make sure that um, essential services are carried out. And uh, it's to prevent them from collapsing and have the people of the of that area suffer because their local politicians can't get their act together. So I don't know what they would have would they would accomplish by this, but there's a small part of this story that's actually kind of brilliant in a sense, be evilly brilliant, but still because our local body elections are notoriously bad. We have horrendous horrendous voter turnout for the elections. I mean, American level horrendousness, Um, maybe 40 odd percent of people bothered to return the ballots. It's a postal ballot and only 40, 40, 50 percent of people even bother. It depends on council. It does vary different parts of the country. But the point is that people aren't interested. They don't take any, they're not very interested in finding out who these candidates are. It's not easy to find information out about them. You'd have to sit down at your computer and Google each name and see what you can find and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's a pain. And I I, I don't know what the solution is, but it's this has been the case as long as I've been in New Zealand, certainly, and probably for quite some time before that. The system clearly isn't working and they need to change it. But meanwhile, we've got all these loons, goons, and cartoons who are trying to game the system for their own advantage of some sort. And when the story first broke, it was broken by Stuff, Stuff.co.nz, which is a New Zealand-owned media company, and that's their website. And um, they, 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 I think they were quoting somebody who was saying that um, voters would have to research each of the candidates. And I'm thinking, that's not the way this works. People don't care. They're not going to bother to research it. And that's the problem. Well, since then, Stuff has been exposing these, these people around the country. Um, in some districts have a lot of them running and some of them only have one. And there's a whole bunch they haven't reported on yet, so I don't know. But one of them, apparently, they they asked if um, she was affiliated with this group and she wouldn't say and said, to, um, is it relevant that I'm part of a gardening group? Well, it could be. <laughs> Who knows? But uh, yeah, I, there's something inherently evil about being part of a group and refusing to disclose that. It's it's anti-democratic, which is what they all are. They're all they're all fans of authoritarianism. I mean, just like the Red Hats. And so it's just, it's creepy. And they're making threats against people all the time. Some of them have been, have been um, charged with that. And two of the leading leaders, 
started a right-wing, far-right media organization, and they're now being tried for distributing objectionable material, which in this case is part of the manifesto that the Christchurch terrorist um, put online. It is an offense in New Zealand to possess or distribute that publication. It is possible to get special permission to to read it if you're like a researcher or so on, but you have to go through a process. Ordinary people don't can't access it, and distributing it is a crime. I can't remember what the maximum fine is, but you but a person doing it could be sentenced up to ten years in prison for doing that. I don't think that that usually happens. It's usually far less than that, but it's likely that they were they did it not be necessarily because of what was in it, but they probably did it to get attention and to raise money for their other goals. Now, the guy in, of the two at one point was forming a right-wing armed militia to try to overthrow the government. This is going back many years now. So he has a long history of far-right ideology. So their supporters are, of, of course, harassing and making threats against the legal system and so on. And it's not going to end well no matter what happens. But that's that's going on. And of course, threats in general are still going on against public officials of one sort or another. And there's so much more that's also going on related to this. But Stuff produced a documentary called Fire and Fury, which is about these people, particularly around the Wellington occupation. And I'll put a link in the show notes because it's it's worth seeing if you're interested in New Zealand's version of the far right. And... Yeah, they hesitated to publish it because they weren't sure if it was a good idea, if it would be giving, um, you know, amplifying the messages of these people. And they decided in the end, I mean, they did consult with experts in the field on the numerous, numerous times, apparently. But they decided in the end, the old journalistic um, maxim that sunshine is the best disinfectant. And there's some truth to that, and also the fact that, you know, we can't fight monsters that we don't know they're there. So it's good to know that these people exist and how loony they are, and also where some of their, what the, what the connections are between and among them and to overseas sources as well. I should say, I don't know if it's watchable outside of New Zealand. I presume it is, but I don't know that. But uh, I'll put a link in the show notes if you are interested. But that is it for today, and that is it for this winter. And this month, I'll talk to you soon after spring has sprung. <laughs> no. Bye. You can comment on this or any episode of the Emmons Podcast at Emmonspodcast.com, where you can also leave a voice message. You can visit and comment on the Emmons Facebook page, or you can email me with or without a voice message at Emmons at gmail.com. This podcast is a proud member of the Pride 48 Network and is produced and distributed under Creative Commons license. Complete details at the website.